are the Articles of Confederation Uniform Commercial Code and the Emergency Banking Act have in common. Do certain capitalized words really stand out to you? Have you ever wanted to just be your own country? What is the difference between a car and a boat? Sovereign citizens, are they being detained this week? Philosophers. Philosophers. All right, David, you won the lottery this week. What topic did you uh, pull out of the hat? We're going to talk about the sovereign citizen movement, if mm. you can call it that. Mm. See also r slash am I being detained, I see. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, if you'd like to see lots of uh, footage and headlines of sovereign citizens after this episode, check out Reddit uh, r slash am I being detained. And uh, good things are sure to follow. Yes. So, I'm no stranger to the Sovereign Citizen Movement, neither are you, um, I don't think. Um, but the only place I really know about them from is is their really cringy videos that go up on, like, YouTube, and you find them in court often, you know? <laughs> like, um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about Sovereign Citizens, and we'll go down the rabbit hole. Sure. So, I'll pull up... The uh, the Wikipedia article for a quick uh, summary, and then we'll go into some specifics. The Sovereign Citizen Movement, according to Wikipedia, is a loose grouping of primarily American litigants, commentators, tax protesters, and financial scheme promoters who see themselves as answerable only to their particular interpretations of the common law and, <laughs> and is not subject to any government statutes or proceedings. Oh. Are you laughing too hard at the financial scheme promoters? Yes, that was <laughs> what? Like, imagine including that in it's in the title. <laughs> like, I mean, don't get me wrong. If I were being totally charitable, I'd be like, it sounds like a hit job. But knowing as much as I do, I feel like about sovereign citizens, I feel like it. This is kind of generous. It's, it's kind of generous, <laughs> and that's what's funny to me about it. Let's see some more things from the uh, from the intro uh, paragraph here. In the United States, they do not recognize U.S. currency and maintain that they are quote free of any legal constraints end quote. They especially reject most forms of taxation as illegitimate. Participants in the movement argue this concept in opposition to the idea of quote federal citizens end quote who they say have unknowingly forfeited their rights by accepting some aspect of federal law. So that's where we can get into some of the. Uh, the, the other things that we have, the common common beliefs among sovereign citizens. Before we dive too far into that, yeah. I will say that some of the things on the surface package of sovereign citizenship or the sovereign citizen movement don't sound too bad. Like, I think we could agree that taxes are kind of awful and wrong. Sure. Um, what we're going to get into <laughs> is that their reasons for believing so are... Uh, bad <laughs> yeah and, and the thing is i was gonna try to get into get at is that maybe there's a moral here about just because you agree with somebody on the conclusion may not mean you should agree with the motivations that are as to right why. it is possible to believe true things for bad reasons yes um okay yeah let's can we don't need to go too deep into that okay so common beliefs so appropriately uh wikipedia categorizes 
the sovereign citizen movement under pseudo law, because that's really what all of this is going to come down to is sovereign citizens see themselves as n not under the authority of the law, but when questioned on it, the defenses that they give rely on matters of law, or at least things that are presented as if they are matters of law, at least. So, to go into specifics, as we, as I, as I mentioned a little bit in the intro paragraph, um, they have this idea of uh, federal citizens, and that the place where this comes from is that they, they basically see that they have, they, they see themselves as having two distinct identities: their personal identity, which is their their actual person, and a government identity, which is like how they exist on paper in government records, and they see these as separate things, which physically they are separate things, but government records identifying you are just meant to point to you as a person, but they don't see this as legitimate. So you basically have a, a flesh self and a paper self. They don't use those terms, but that's how I'm putting it. Um, and so the, they, they have sort of like a, like a superstition about contracts where they will destroy or at least attempt to erase any uh, any trace of them ever implicitly agreeing to be governed by the government. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, if they end up getting confronted about something, maybe it's as simple as speeding or driving without a valid license plate. That is very common. <laughs> um, then they will they will say that they are exempt from traffic laws for many reasons, but among these in principle to them is that they they have not joined into a contract with the government and so then they they don't have to follow those rules so they are the meme of i didn't sign no social contract embodied <sighs> kinda <laughs> okay uh, but they call it a social contract or is it, no. i didn't sign no contract like that's the main well normally they like to use fancy uh I don't even know if these are actually legal terms, but legal sounding words Legalese, like yeah. like joinder um, and things like that. If you if you hear somebody use that word while talking to the police, you know <laughs> who you're dealing with. Okay. Um. Yes. So you wanted to talk a little bit about the concept of how they sort of see themselves as their own state. Sure. Well, and I think the main reason I bring this up is. This movement is also one of the less cohesive movements, I would say. Um, yeah. And what I mean by that is there are people who would go along with being a sovereign citizen. Like, okay, so there is such a thing as the sovereign citizen movement, full stop. Like, it, it is a movement. Mm -hmm. But referring to yourself as a sovereign citizen is not unique to the sovereign citizen movement necessarily, right? Mm -hmm. They're not interchangeable. And the reason I bring this up is because I have seen some instances of people who claim to renounce their citizenship, and in their minds, this frees them up of any contractual agreements they have with that government. Like, that government cannot govern over them. But usually the example given is uh, they love to look, these specific types, love to look at things like diplomatic immunity, right? Mm -hmm. So... 
what that means in the real world, and, and this is a real thing, but it's not afforded to just anybody, it's that if, if I were sent by the U.S. government to another country to represent the United States government, you can't do certain things to me because I don't fall under your rules. Like, I, like a good example is diplomats in other countries typically can't be prosecuted in that country because they aren't a person. They're treated as an extension of the foreign government. Mm. So it's you have to sue the American government for something that they did, which is a lot harder. Which it's not just a unique to the American government. This happens for all governments. So if a, if a you know, if a government sends an emissary to another country and that emissary runs a person over with their car in the process of doing government things, that foreign government cannot take it up with an individual necessarily like there's a lot of law that goes into this that i'm not prepared to sit here and act like a lawyer and talk Mm -hmm. about but the way that a sovereign citizen sees this is well if a diplomat can act as an extension of a another government why don't i just be my own government and become a citizen of the world government or myself you know um i am an independent national entity so if you want to sue me you have to take it up with me the paper international entity like that's the thing that they have in common is the distinct separation mm-hmm. between self and paper self in that way the difference is i think these types of people who would adopt themselves as a nation state want to have a paper self that they can essentially point to when they have a problem so the the, the, the specific instance i'm talking about there's a gentleman who i don't remember if he was canadian or from the united states but he travels back and forth between the two places you can't just do that all the time. Like there's some restrictions in place, but the restrictions as with most border agreements have to do with, well, citizens from X country have to go through the following to enter Y country. And then there's a different set of rules for those of Y country entering X country. Mm -hmm. Um, And then how you do that. So, but if you're a citizen of neither, there's, a whole different set of rules that apply that are a little more lax because they're meant for tourists. You know, that's why these laws were practically implemented is this is not going to be someone I deal with frequently. They're, they don't have a home in that other country. I can't just say, no, you can't come in here. You know, it would, it cause undue suffering on people, whatever. Like this is the, the laws were not created with these type of people in mind necessarily. Mm-hmm. They were afterthoughts. So, but what this person wanted to do was essentially fit into that category and say, well, I don't have to prove an ID or anything like that. I can, I should just be able to go through, you know, or here's my ID. And it's like Photoshopped up citizen of the world. Yeah, so very ID. common thing that you will see is yeah. Fake IDs, fake license plates. Um, and we'll get into a little bit what some of those will say. Right. But the, the thing that they lean on by trying to be an individual as a nation state is that I want you to deal with me as though you were dealing with a foreign government. Like I want access to the higher levels of people. I can't be detained. You just have to take it up with the paper me after the fact, which can also be me in lawyer form later or pseudo lawyer form later. Cause most of these people also aren't lawyers. Um, and that's, an but issue. they think they are, but they, think they, they fancy are. themselves lawyers. They absolutely yeah. do. Yes. Um, so that was the other thing that I've kind of seen. And this, again, I don't want to necessarily attribute this to the sovereign citizen movement, but those who are like parallel organizations to this or movements to this where they think it's unfair that another national government is dealt with differently than an individual. But the and they kind of try to exploit the vagueness around what is an identified government. 
you know, and concepts such as recognition are important to them, which, to be fair, they are at that level. Globally speaking, your regime, if it's not recognized, you are treated very, very differently than a government that is recognized, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's why you see spats over these things. They just take that to the micro scale and believe that any person should be able to just say, I'm out. I don't apply anymore. And then because I don't belong to a country, I am my own country, essentially, is that thing. So it's another thing where they're they're making up kind of laws and expectations that don't really exist. But when you're your own government, you can make up whatever law you want Mm -hmm. and just assert it as true. And the party of one and the citizenry of one voted on it. And we've all agreed that I am the emperor of my made up country. Mm Mm-hmm. So you need to deal with me like I am an emperor of a country, even though I'm one person. That that kind of thing. <laughs> you know. Right. So yeah, so that's fun. Um some things that go along with this, they they have some peculiar obsessions. And some of these will come in, in a, a later section of this episode. But one is they're obsessed with the common law. Mm. But so I put this in quotes in the notes because they they may be obsessed with the common law, but they're also obsessed with common law, whatever that is. Um, and they they will basically just assert, you know, certain legal rights without any merit. Um, and then when they're questioned on these, you know, they'll they'll you know accuse. Usually it's a police officer of not understanding the law, which to be fair, many of them don't. But in this particular case, they, they will, they will cite, you know, vague rights in common law, um, that isn't actually backed up by anything. Well, yeah. And I pulled up what common law is Mm -hmm. and and this kind of, I think helps lay it out. So common law is a subsection of law. It's not ever a system of law. It's a component of a legal system, usually. Um, And it's also known as judicial precedent or judge-made law or case law, which those terms are a little more common that I think if you watch any kind of court TV or you pay attention or you're a lawyer or you know what it's like to be in court, those may sound familiar to you. But it's the, quote, body of law created by judges and similar quasi-judicial tribunals by virtue of being stated in written opinions. The defining characteristics of common law is that it arises as precedent. In cases where the parties disagree on what the law is, a common law court looks to past precedential decisions of relevant courts and synthesizes the principles of those past cases as applicable to the current facts. So, and end quote. So, common law is real. It's a thing. Yes. But it's reserved in most legal systems. It's relegated to when there's obscurity as to how the law should be interpreted. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's usually when a court case is in progress, you know, a judge can look back. That's kind of the judge's job in a trial. It's not to necessarily weigh in on any opinion on whether one person is right or wrong, it's to clarify what the law itself is for the councils to argue against. So he sets the rules for the trial and then is the officiant. And that's part of his, their job is to 
dictate what common law is if there's any ambiguity. And um, I feel like what, but these are usually relegated to a single case. Like it's not law from that point forward. It can be used as precedent, but precedents can get overturned and laws can be written that negate a precedence and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But it's almost like the, the, when you see a sovereign citizen use common law, it's almost like saying, well, there was this one guy one time that was treated this way. Ergo, it's wrong for you to treat me differently. Even though I'm cherry picking a single example out of history. Mm-hmm. And, and, and some of these laws are really old too. Like one of the meme names for sovereign citizens is boat captains because um, they'll apply maritime common law precedence to driving a car right and say so this is where you end up with stuff like so many of their fake license plates um or well okay it's either written on the license plate because they're trying to disguise the fact that they don't actually have a license plate but they so they make something that looks sort of like one so that if you're not paying close attention you won't uh, get pulled over um so it's either on on that or it's or some of them are very open and will decal it all over the body of their car. Things like not for hire, private, non-commercial vehicle. That's yes. another one I see a lot. Yeah, citing that in some obscure maritime law, uh, you know, these things are not required to be you know registered and licensed and things like that. Right, non-commercial vessel I've even seen. Yes. Um, and they will have the definition of vessel, like vinyl decal on their back glass. Right. Um, which is not technically exclusive to boats, but at the time that case was tried that said, yeah, and, and, and like, I don't, I'm just going to assume here that there probably was a legal case at one point where a guy in a little dingy fishing boat that he maybe made himself or bought was going through a harbor and then the harbor master was a jerk and was like, Hey, you got to pay me to, you know, to dock your boat at your private dock. And he's like, what do you mean? Like, I'm just rowing around. And they went to court and they were like, yeah, no, you, that's a non-commercial vehicle. You can only do that for like big industrial stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, don't waste your time on people like this guy who's probably just fishing for himself. And then they took it, look at that and went, ah, so if I have a non-commercial vessel, car's kind of like a vessel, I don't have to license it and I don't have to have a license to drive. And that's kind of where they, yeah you know pick little instances like that out it's kind of funny um yes uh yeah so that's their common law obsession yeah and there's a wealth of examples like i'm not an expert but i imagine if we were to ever just do a down the rabbit hole style deep dive on common law precedents you could come up with some crazy precedents to justify things Mm -hmm. that if in the absence of written law it would be a mess you know uh, so I think next you want to talk about uh, how they are obsessed with going pro se in court. Yes. So for those of you who are not familiar with the concept or with the, the procedure of going pro se, it's one of those Latin phrases that are legal Exist system. for some reason. Yes, because, you know, we may have gotten rid of the powdered wigs, but we still want to fancy ourselves. So, um, you know, here we are and America being downstream from english common law and the english legal system um for better or worse for better or worse so one of the ways that and this is very common i I don't know if this is exclusive to the united states but i've only ever really heard about it in the u.s and that's because in the united states you cannot be compelled to have a legal defense assigned to you 
and the reason this is the case is I'm, I believe, again, this is all coming off the top of my head, and I, I'm sure there is a person who's a lawyer or a barrister, and I'll bring that up in a minute, that will correct me, and please do. But the point of this was that you can't say you're being maligned by the government, which is usually the case, because in the United States, all criminal cases are the government or the governing body versus the individual. The governing body can't tell you what lawyer to use because previously they were all agents of the state. Like that Right, was... there's a conflict of interest. Exactly. Yeah. So in the American legal system, you have the right to defend yourself if you feel that that's the case. Now, what that means is that you can select your own counsel. But it also technically means, by omission, you can select yourself as counsel. And that's the one time a person who's not a lawyer can be a lawyer. Um, typically speaking, you have to pass the bar exam to be a recognized legal practitioner in an area in a jurisdiction mm -hmm. and that's the only time you can be in the well of a court representing somebody and arguing a case the only time you can do that without being that is to represent yourself because you're not gonna you know they're not it working. could be a completely unreasonable demand to say well in order to represent yourself in this courtroom you must pass the bar exactly like, go to law school to learn enough to pass the bar which, I mean, that would be a great legal defense where it's like, well, I want to defend myself in this case, but I can't. So you need to wait this case up for like eight years for me to become a lawyer first. Yeah, and just take your sweet time. And take your sweet <laughs> time and drag it out. Yeah. <laughs> so any lawyer will tell you this is horrible advice. And I understand that there might be a little bit of a conflict of interest for lawyers telling people to always hire lawyers so that lawyers always have business. But I would also But they're actually right, though. But they're actually 100% right. There's a reason, maybe not a good one, but there's a reason that we have specialists in the field of arguing law because it's complicated. Yeah. And the procedures in just going through a trial are complicated. Like right. when can you even speak? When can you not speak? When do your words mean something? When do they not mean anything? There's all this that goes into a trial. And also, yeah, a bunch of little gotcha things. Like you can say a word that you don't know is a special legal word. Yeah. It's and get yourself in trouble. Yeah. It, and it's, to be honest, I feel like there's a lot of gatekeeping that goes on with that, but that's a different issue for this right is now. It's probably part of the reason for all the Latin words, too. That doesn't help. Yeah. But um, but when you are a sovereign citizen, there's, I think, well, I had one reason and you had another good reason. Uh -huh. uh, the one reason I would say that they defend themselves is that, well, no one knows their law like they do, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of them fancy themselves legal experts. And to be fair, you have to have a certain degree in confidence of yourself to wander around in public knowing you're going to try to argue law against a police officer right. convincingly. Um, and so they're obsessed with doing this. And also, I feel like there's a component of empowerment for being able to do that, knowing that you because otherwise, if you choose an illegal counsel, your job is to show up and sit there and be quiet. Let your lawyer do the work. Mm -hmm. And that can suck if you're someone, especially like me, who does not trust other people very easily. Why am I even there if I can't even speak? What's the point in me even being here? You know, that, that's my thought on it. But their thought on it is, well, I, you know, this lawyer's going to butcher it. You know, he doesn't know common law like I do. You know, I'm an expert. And right. Yes. I'm going to get up there and school these people on why it's wrong. You know, and then you had another reason, which I think is absolutely true. Uh, yeah, that... Uh, no actual lawyer would ever stand in the well and give the case that the sovereign citizen wants them to be, to give. No, because that's not their job. Right. 
their, their job is not to argue what you think is right. Their job is to keep you out of jail or to minimize your right. sentence. Right, and whatever. your argument is going to land you in jail. Yes. But uh, they do love doing that. Like, in a lot of the videos you'll see of them, they'll go pro se to defend themselves, and it hits different if you ever watch any court cases when a person goes pro se. And it's pretty funny. Um, if you've never, In a sad sort of way. In a sad sort of way, it's, it's pretty funny. Um, if you ever get the chance and you you have a tolerance for what a lot of people would consider to be very, very boring, lengthy uh, court video, which is nothing like the dramatized. Uh, oh, yeah, court is much more boring than yeah. it is on TV. Yeah. Um, but if you ever do, I highly recommend it. It's, it's just grab the popcorn. It's, it's great. Um, so, yeah. Yes. Good stuff. So, shall we take an intermission and talk about the origins of the sovereign citizen movement? I think that we should. So we didn't even outline it. We just linked it to the uh, history segment of their Wikipedia page, which I think does it complete justice. Yes. Um, so if you'd like, I can read some excerpts of this. Uh, yeah. So I'll start with the top. Um, to quote, the concept of a sovereign citizen originated in 1971 in the Posse Comitatus movement as a teaching of Christian identity minister William P. Gale. The concept has influenced the tax protester movement, the Christian patriot movement, and the redemption movement, the last of which claims that the U.S. government uses its citizens as collateral against foreign debt. The 1980s farm crisis saw the rise of anti-government protesters selling fraudulent debt relief programs. Gale identified the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution as the act that converted sovereign citizens into federal citizens by their agreement to a contract to accept benefits from the federal government. Other commentators have identified other acts, including the Uniform Commercial Code, the Emergency Banking Act, the Zone Improvement Plan, and the alleged suppression of the Titles of Nobility Amendment. In addition to Gale's white nationalist origins, their sovereign arguments have been adopted by the Moorish sovereigns. Their beliefs may have derived in part from the Moorish Science Temple of America, which has condemned the sovereign citizen ideologies. The, underpin the underpinnings of the theories of African-American exemption vary. The Washita nation claims, and I have to stop and point out, Washita in this case is spelled W-A-S-H, as in to wash something, I-T-A-W, Ita. So there you go. Um, it's not not the Washita yeah with tribe. Yes, okay, because I don't want to <laughs> malign them. Yes, O U A C H I T A. I think is the correct spelling. Yeah, something like that. Um, so to continue, the Washita Nation claims rights through provisions in the Louisiana Purchase Treaty, granting privileges to Moors as early colonists and the non-existent United Nations Indigenous People Seat Two Fifteen. Sovereign citizens' ideas have been adopted by some groups within the Hawaiian sovereignty movement. And it goes on a little bit more than that to say that other than common conspiracy theories about legitimate government having been usurped and replaced, there is no defining text, goals, or leadership to the movement. Some of those in the movement believe that the term sovereign citizen is an oxymoron and prefers to label themselves as individuals seeking the truth. With a capital T. With a, with a capital T. We'll get to why that's important later. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And... 
the the last little bit. Um, a oh sovereign boy. citizen group known as the Oath Enforcers attracted QAnon and Donald Trump supporters in the movement following the 2021 storming of the United States Capitol. So, that's a whole barrel of odd ducks that uh, are all kind of thrown together in this yeah. thing. You got the Moors, you got Trump, you got QAnon, like, you know, the whole thing. Um, and at one point, uh, there's a bunch of, like, legal statutes named that i've never heard of like the uniform commercial code the oh, yeah. emergency banking act the zone improvement plan and the titles of nobility amendment like it's just beautiful like i don't think we could have ever encapsulated this better than the way this article does at the moment um so in a nutshell to recap what all that said it's a movement, but it's not a formally headed movement necessarily. It's a collection of ideas that are common amongst other movements like the um, Christian identitarians. I don't know if that's what that, how they would identify themselves. Um, the Christian patriots, the redemption movement, the Moors, you know, mm -hmm. um, the Washita <laughs> in this case. Um, the Hawaiian sovereignty movement. So it's essentially just a bunch of really oddball groups that are kind of thrown together and all kind of umbrellaed under the term sovereign citizen. And it, yeah. and I think that's also pretty obvious if you've ever watched any of the YouTube videos or if you go to on to do that, which I highly recommend. You can kind of pick up the individual flavors depending on the individual who's claiming to be a sovereign citizen mm -hmm. in that video. Um, in my experience, some of the Moors are the most outspoken members. Um and so that was one that wasn't a surprise to me, but some of these others I've never heard of, and I don't know how prominent they still are, but that's kind of where it all started out. Um, it's almost like there was one person who thought that sovereign citizens, sovereign citizenship was a great idea. And then a bunch of other people that looked at that and went, that's kind of weird. They are almost right, but see it's actually, and then they quoted another <laughs> obscure legal statute. Like that's what it almost seems like happened to me. Yeah. Oof. Okay, let's talk about the issues that we haven't already talked about. Um, so I think my biggest issue with sovereign citizens is that they claim to be exempt from the law. But in order to justify this, they rely on the law. Or at least legal authority sounding things or irrelevant statutes um questionable sources of authority such as the articles of confederation which okay let's talk about the articles of confederation for a moment let's <laughs> since we're here um th there was a thing in there about you know the conspiracy theory that the uh, the united states was overthrown well that's actually true technically yes we this government, the, the the current United States of America, as it exists, came about from a coup. Legally speaking. Legally speaking, a coup. There, there was no war. No. But, right. We had the Articles of Confederation that established the first United States. Yes. Um, For reasons that this episode is not about, people were unhappy with that, uh, with, the, with some of the outcomes of the Articles of Confederation. And so, they reconvened or well most of the states reconvened look at you rhode island <laughs> <laughs> now one of the things in the articles of confederation is that any major change like that i don't remember the exact terms but major changes to the like the structure of the government had to be approved unanimously by the states right um well 
we have our best friend Rhode Island that Joe already mentioned, yes. um, who doesn't like to play games. Um, and they were just fine with the Articles of Confederation, and they didn't show up to the hearing. Yep. Um, so, basically, uh, these other uh, representatives of states who arrived drafted what we now call the Constitution of the United States. Um, and they decided that only a certain percentage of the states need to ratify the Constitution, and it just so happened to be enough that the ones who were there could ratify it, and they did. And that's how we got the Constitution and the Articles of Confederation were thrown away. But technically, that entire thing was illegal. Absolutely. So, uh, what you'll often hear to go along with this as well... No, let me count these guys real quick. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay. Uh, is that George Washington actually wasn't the first president of the United States. Right. And they're technically not wrong. It depends on what you mean by that. That they're right. Actually... Which United States? The United States under the Articles or the United States under the Constitution? Right. Yeah. Because from 1781 to 1788, there were ten of them that ran the federal government of the United States under the first Continental Congress. Right. And yeah. If you if you know your early American history, but you didn't know this for some reason, you might wonder how the country was declared independent in 1776 and the government established shortly thereafter, but the Constitution wasn't ratified till 1792. There There's was a, a lot of time between 1776 and 1792 where stuff happened. Yes, there there was a government in place. Right, um, under the Articles. Right, and, and the interesting thing about it is America was riding high on independence so much that they didn't want to, each of these states did not want to be dependent on anyone else. That's kind of the main reason, like, long story short, why the federal government under the Articles of Confederation was so limited, you know? Uh, they had to have all the states agree to do anything. They couldn't raise an army. That's another thing they could not do. They had to ask for resources. Right. They, they also couldn't collect federal taxes. Right. That was all voluntary. It's all voluntary. So uh, one of the things you will, if you remembered, or if you ask like a history teacher at your local public school why this was a thing, they'll tell you that, well, it's because the first federal government wasn't effective because it couldn't do anything. It had no real authority, which was kind of the purpose. It was the whole point because they had just gotten out from underneath something that had all the authority, the crown. Right. Yeah. The, the whole revolution was fought about taxes. Yeah. That was the whole point. The so, yeah, they didn't want point. no taxes. They didn't want no tax. It was fought over a 2% tax, by the way. Just right. put that in context for the modern era. Um, on, like, a handful of things, like papers, published goods, and tea, you know? Um, so, yeah, the, that's the brief history of how, yeah, technically these things do exist, but the Articles of Confederation are no longer valid. They've been replaced with the right. Constitution. Yeah, nobody's enforcing the Articles of Confederation, and... In the world of governments, might makes right anyway, and so the government operating under the Constitution has the might. Right. And so good luck arguing that you are actually under the Articles, because, uh, well, it's especially fun to argue that you're actually under the Articles uh, before a police officer acting under the Constitution, or a court acting under the Constitution. Yes, in a state who, who do not <laughs> recognize the articles as a legitimate authority. Right. And bigger gun diplomacy would entail that um, they get to You're say, going to jail. Yeah. Um, so so we have the articles. We're done with the articles. As was mentioned earlier, the Uniform Commercial Code, which we won't go into too much detail about, 
or in, in fact anymore yes. but <laughs> uh the bible yeah that, that's a fun one i think that's where the original guy was uh yeah in the history statement um oh what do they call themselves the uh christian identity my my favorite thing about using the bible as a as your source of authority when questioning the law i assume this is the christian bible um and it would seem so based on the history here and also just the rest of american history um so the christian bible but it's a principle of christianity well or at least a quote attributed to jesus to render under caesar that which is caesar's which seems to imply that jesus acknowledged the authority of the government so if you're gonna say i'm exempt from the government because jesus well jesus ain't exactly on your side there (laughs) well yeah well and to to clarify a little bit and just because the guy who was claimed to be the one who started the sovereign movement was a followed christian identity or identity Mm -hmm. christianity as it's also called just because he was the first one doesn't mean that when they say the bible it may still be the common bible but some of the other things that came out of this and what makes christian identity as a group unique are the things like uh, it interprets Christianity, which advocates the belief that only Celtic and Germanic people, such as the Anglo-Saxon Nordic nations and or Aryan people and people of kindred blood are descendants of Abraham, 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 Isaac and Jacob, therefore descendants of the ancient Israelites, which I mean, doesn't make any sense whatsoever, any sense. but go on, but go on. <laughs> um, and they end up, uh, independently practiced by individuals, uh, independent congregations, and some prison gangs, and is not an organized religion, nor is it affiliated with specific Christian denominations. So the theology uh, essentially says that these Europeans that we've stated before, which are the chosen people, and the Jews as the cursed offspring of Cain and the serpent hybrid or serpent seed. Interesting. Um, so pretty much only these people are the real Christians. Everyone else is not. And the Jews are especially evil because they killed Jesus. Like that in a nutshell is like yeah. this whole group. So I mean, maybe not the legit Bible, but either way, it kind of follows the whole concept of children of God as being God's chosen. Therefore yeah. we follow God's law, not anyone else's law and ignores the section you mentioned before about rendering under Caesar. What is Caesar? So right eh, you know it's it's interesting uh, to say the least that bit cherry picking the religious text i mean that, what, what a new thing what a new thing anyway yeah um and uh uh let's see among these other uh questionable sources of authority the magna carta that's a fun one um it's an old one too and very old and various uh foreign treaties which definitely apply to people <laughs> <laughs> okay so yeah my my problem with them is that they they cite like interpretations of either current or completely outdated and irrelevant legal statutes as their defense when their individual sovereignty is called into question. Like they're dragged into a courtroom that they think is illegitimate and then they start giving an argument to the court. Why? Yeah. It's a little incoherent. Um because what I was going to say when I was first going down my rap, my rap, my personal rabbit hole about, you know, being fed up with the government and everything like that and 
being a new atheist and all, all these things that I was going through at the time. I was really anti-authority at that point, mm-hmm. almost hatefully so, I think, as a lot of us tend to be when we first transition into that uh, part of our lives. Um, this was one of the things that I looked at, and even I had that immediate, why even bother? Like, if you claim something has no authority, but then you argue with it from a different authority, but you recognize part of its authority to try to argue that it has no authority, it just doesn't make sense. That's like saying to your parents, you're not the boss of me when you're a kid, and then telling your parents the reason you're not the boss of me is because you said that, and it make you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it just... It takes the whole concept of how, like, anarchism looks at authority and doesn't totally divorce from it. Uh, and it's really cognitively dissonant in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, an analogy, maybe. We go back to our favorite time in history, the trial of King Charles I. Absolutely. Um, this is sort of like the same mistake that the people who created the High Court of Justice made, which is setting up a pretense of legal authority to try the king that they didn't actually have. Why even play that game? Because the king, rightly, at least strategically speaking, immediately questioned the authority of the court. And of course they had none, according to the law. Right. Why even play the game? Yep. Why play the game and try, like, well, and okay, maybe in their case I understand what they're trying to do because it's them versus the king. They're going to try to make it look as little like we're going to kill the king because we're mad at him as they could being Oliver Cromwell <laughs> and all like, uh, as you one does you know well and and yeah to be fair like they had just gotten out of a civil war sort of um they'd sort of gotten out of it and you know if you if you finish off a war by killing the king and then declaring that the kingdom is no more you might just start another war. So they didn't want that. But anyway, but sovereign citizens are not in this precarious situation. So why even acknowledge the authority by giving an argument? Like if you ask me, if, if they wanted to be true to the principle of, you know, I, I am not of this country and not subject to its laws. Then as soon as you, as soon as someone attempts to seize you, then you defend yourself. Just don't, Except the authority. Of course, this could also and will also end badly. You will die, yes. Um, almost invariably. Um, right. And and some people who are at least classified as sovereign citizens, I don't know if they identify as such, uh, do this. And the FBI lists them as domestic terrorists for obvious reasons. Um, but anyway, yeah. Like, if you're going to... If you're going to say that... It's illegitimate. Why play the game? Right. Well, I think that's exactly why they do it. It's it's almost a having your cake and eating it too kind of predicament. Um, and it might also harken back to the discussion we've had before about power versus authority. Um, you can't argue with power, right? If you are an unarmed citizen and the police come after you with guns and you cannot fight that battle, you can't argue with the power that they have. The best you can maybe hope to do in that case, and I'm being very charitable right mm-hmm. here, and I know that, okay? I sort of know where you're going, yeah. yeah. The best you can do is try to argue from within about authority, and the only way to do that is to recognize the entity with the power. And it's really hard to Right, like you, you play the game because you lose anyway. So you're like, you're you're playing the game and giving an argument that 
you hope makes the case to them and convinces them not to lock you in a cage. Right. Yeah. And and to be fair, I think there is a right way to do this. Sure. But you also need to not be surprised when you land in jail mm-hmm. when it doesn't work out. You know, because I can see some people saying, well, how is this any different than something like counter-economics, right? Um, I don't recognize this government's authority, so I'm going to do whatever I want to do, albeit peacefully, because regardless of whether the government has authority or not, my neighbors can gang up on me if they wanted to. Right. So I have... You have to recognize the power, yeah. Yeah, and people inherently have that power, regardless yeah. of how disenfranchised someone might claim to be. Yeah, if you go be. around attacking people, people are going to get tired of that, and they're going to come get you. Yeah. Right. See the great example about how Missouri killed their town bully. Like, there, there's a really good example of that, where that yeah. happened. Um, That's a fun one. Where they used the legal system, and the town kind of got together and murdered this guy because he was being a jerk to the community and then one... it was a bit more than a jerk but yeah. <laughs> yeah that's fair yeah he yeah he was a pretty he was hor- kind of sick he was kind of a horrible human being but when the town got drugged in front of a court no one said a i thing. didn't see who shot him yep i didn't see anything or and if, even though the entire town was there the whole nobody, town was there nobody saw who did it that's mm. right yep so there's good reasons to operate peacefully and in be a good neighbor, essentially, you know? Um, and if you don't want to be, don't live near people. Um, but you also have to understand that if you're going to pursue these things, there's certain levels of risk that you need to be willing to adopt. And then when it does not play out in your favor, you can. I could see someone going to court to make the point that this is wrong and know that you're probably going to go to jail anyway mm-hmm. as a protest. And if you're doing it that way, I understand a little bit. If you're willing to go to jail as a protest, I mean, some of the greatest historical figures of all time have done that. You know, Nelson Mandela is a good example. He was famous for going to prison as a protest over some of the things he saw that were wrong in South Africa. Regardless of what you think about his stance on those issues or those issues in general, you know, Gandhi's another good example. Like, if you're willing to go to jail for something, it's a pretty powerful statement for your movement Mm -hmm. but it's a it's a sacrifice on yourself and i think that's the thing that i see missing from a lot of these sovereign citizen movements is that they're actually surprised when they go to jail or they're upset about it like it shouldn't have happened and it's you know you know what i mean like it's different it's not something where they acknowledge what's going on and then still call it wrong which i think is more powerful is saying that see this is what the law as written gets you and it's happening to me. It'll happen to you. That's a powerful statement. Mm-hmm. But by saying this is BS and like being mad because you're going to jail makes you look selfish. And that doesn't help anybody. So right. I don't know. That, that's just, that's all my opinion mm-hmm. right there on that. But ugh, it's, it's dumb. I'm sorry. It's just one of the dumbest things out there. Yeah. Y- yeah. And I hate when similar movements that also you know reject authority get thrown under this umbrella Mm -hmm. it's it's something that i distance myself from regularly because i'm not about to be caught up with that and people look at me like i'm a sovereign citizen like that like that that kind of ruins the things that i try to advocate for Mm -hmm. you know um and so if you're out there being a sovereign citizen and somehow you're listening to this maybe think about it and if you think that we're entirely wrong there are ways to contact us and we'd love to have you on the show to talk about (laughs) it um 
But yeah, that's that's what I have to say about. But only non-commercially. Um, not commercially, exactly, <laughs> and you will be under no contract. Um, <laughs> um, but you, I think you have one other thing that they are obsessed with too. Under, under yeah, that was just a, a fun thing about how they with, with the legal interpretations that they cite. So they they're also obsessed with the capitalization of words. Oh boy. Um, it's difficult for me to emphasize this properly if I just read it into the microphone, but. Go read some more stuff on the Wikipedia page. There are some fun quotes in there about, you know, there, there's all kinds of places in the Constitution where they like to just capitalize words willy-nilly, and they take that to be greatly significant. Right. Um, and, I, and I was actually going to make a point about or, this. And I think the, like, the particular example that a judge gave a lengthy opinion on was, like, there was this place where United States was written with title case, that is the first letters of the two words capitalized, and then another in all caps. And the sovereign citizen argued that these were two different things because they're written differently. <laughs> uh, and and to be fair, this also falls under a category that like 2A advocates kind of get maligned for mm -hmm. wrongfully, though, I think. And Second Amendment for those who. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. 2A meaning Second Amendment. So both of these have to do with. The fact that these this document, the United the Constitution of the United States, was written a very long time ago by modern standards. Like, it was written over 200 years ago. Mm -hmm. Okay? People didn't write the same way 200 years ago as they do today. Mm -hmm. Definitions change, you know? Um, and absolutely, in the Constitution, there are just random words capitalized. Yeah. Now, some, sometimes these get fixed. And I, I think I've talked about... I don't know if i talked about this on the show before, but I've definitely talked to people about like the difference between the original draft of the second amendment and the version that actually got ratified. And they did remove uh, like some superfluous commas and capitalization from it. So they did at least know, but definitely uh, wh whoever it was who was actually pinning these things as the, as he was just writing things down that people were saying in the room, loved to just superfluously, ca superfluously capitalize things um, that he thought was important. I'm just going to let you know, I'm going to make a fictional character called Superflui. <laughs> Superflui. <laughs> and he's going to be a character in something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and same thing with commas. And you also have to remember, at this time, there's not such a thing as a standardized education system for how you learn to read and write either. Like, well, nor was the language itself standardized. Yeah. yeah. So, well, and like really, English today is barely standardized. It's mostly standardized by dictionaries. Or in specific cases, like in the legal sense, like if you ask, if you ever get the chance to meet someone, probably a lawyer, maybe a paralegal that writes contracts for a living, mm. they have entirely different rules for how they write. Yeah. As opposed to how we commonly would write things. And it's, it's, it's just super fascinating, at least to me, what those differences are. But it's because in that, in their arena... They need more specific ways to refer to things mm -hmm. than we probably do in the future. Because this document's supposed to live contextless. It's supposed to stand on its own. You know, whereas with you and I, I can refer to something to you. And I can even write a note to you. And you'll know what I'm talking about with context. But the document's not supposed to be that way. But the same concept existed back then. But the rules for what meant what weren't always the same. Another good example is the Bible. And that might be another reason they're super obsessed with capitalization if they mm. claim that as a source. If you say him, the male pronoun, him, mm -hmm. but you capitalize it, you mean God. Yes, it means God. But yeah. if you don't, 
it, it literally just means anyone else or the, whoever you, then you have to go look at the context. Yeah. If it's capitalized, don't even bother looking for context. It's God. It's God. Period. Every time. Every time. But that's just another example. Um, but that convention is pretty unique to the Christian Bible. Like, if I just capitalized him willy-nilly and you have never experienced that, you would have no clue. I'm wondering why you're capitalizing this all the time. Yeah. Right. Um, exactly. So that's just another possible example with the obsession of the capitalized words. And yes. I, I, mean, I would imagine also commas would be a thing that they like maybe flip about a lot maybe hyphens maybe <laughs> i'm just kidding this assumes that they have a good grasp of grammar gr- grammatical syntax yeah <laughs> oh man and then you have uh the one after that is the legal statutes taken out of context which yeah we mentioned earlier with boat captains boat captains yes it's a great one yes oh so we're coming up on time a little bit a little bit but we did include one last section you know, because it's, it's not fair to point out a problem and not come with some type of solution um, or suggestion as to a solution. So, so we have a great solution. Don't. Don't. Just don't do this. <laughs> and hear me out. There are some great alternatives to being a sovereign citizen. You'll find more support probably. Um, people will probably invite you back over for dinner after some time of forgetting the things that you did as a sovereign citizen and the way you behaved. Um, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be too malicious here. Um, but we're just telling the truth. We're telling the truth. Sometimes you know, it hurts. We care about you here at Philosophers. We care about our listenership. And if someone sent this video to you, maybe think about it. Maybe ask them. Um, but in all seriousness, one of the things that I kind of t- mentioned earlier is I experienced this because I was going down the rabbit hole of I just hate authority. Right? I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um Anarchism sounds awesome. I love the music that comes with it. Punk rock's awesome, you know, all that. <laughs> um, totally had nothing to do with the fact that I wanted to be an anarchist and would draw that, you know, A with the circle around it logo on all my notebooks oh, in school. Goodness. Yeah. Um, but seriously speaking, if I feel like if we were able to interview someone who is a sovereign citizen, and I don't think this is unique to, I think this might be unique to each sovereign citizen, like why they choose to be a part of this movement. And there might be a handful that they love feeling special and being different and they just want to use big words and be treated like lawyers, which to them I would say, how about you just go be a lawyer then? Um, but for the rest of them, that they have a bone to pick. They don't like the way something happens. They don't like the way the government behaves. They don't like contracts a certain way. There's probably a better solution for you out there that will actually help you maybe get support, you know, have other people to talk about. Like we all the time talk about anarchism on this show, libertarianism, you know, things like that. We talked about egoism last week or a couple weeks ago. I don't know. Um, Something like that. Something like that. But all of these are way more, I won't say necessarily legitimate, but they're way more, I think, broadly supported philosophies. And, a lot of them have existed for quite some time for a reason. You know, I, I think in a lot of these, there are legitimate complaints that they have. And they also come with regimens and ways to maybe deal with the fact that you don't like that something is the way it is. Like I mentioned counter economics early. And, and it's not really fair that I'm even the one that brings it up because you're the one who showed that to me. Mm-hmm. And I've been obsessed with it ever since because it's a great idea, I think. Um, but it's a practical way to actually try to make changes and solve these problems. 
that doesn't have everyone turning their nose up at you all the time. And that's another thing you have to remember that if you are a proponent of an ideology or an idea and you want to share that idea, as charitable as it would be, and as nice as it would be that if people would just take what you had to say and just hear what you have to say, it's not that simple. You know, human beings look at the package it comes in. You know, um, we talked a little bit before we even started this show about that. Um, I forget what it was that I was telling you about. Uh, oh, we were talking a little bit about new atheism and atheism plus, for example, mm. like just the name you choose for a philosophy. If it's close enough to something else that people have a, bad stigma about as unfortunate as it is branding's important you know uh and newsflash to anyone who doesn't know this sovereign citizenry has a horrible brand like it's just go to r slash am i being detained and you'll see how bad the brand is yeah. yeah and there are detractors from everything but i feel like there is a more there are there's more consensus around look at these Look at this. Look at how ridiculous this is. Not to yeah. call anyone specifically out, but like talk about not being taken seriously right. by anyone. And I know people who are communists that hate sovereign citizens that think they're dumb. I know libertarians that feel this way. I know conservatives who think this way. Like you can walk across the political spectrum and the one kicking boy in the room is almost always if if you if you are arguing with someone on the opposite side of the aisle and of your issue and you need that quick common ground, bring up sovereign citizens. Boat captains, yep. Boat captains. And you'll both start laughing about boat captains and then get back to what you actually have bones to pick. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's dumb. I'm glad we had a chance to talk about it. And I hope we never have to talk about it again. <laughs> unless we have one come on. Which, if, again, I'm not... You, If you are... Although we might have just poisoned the well, but... Maybe. But hear me out. I I don't think it's fair that this happens, to, to, to be fair. I do think that you should listen to what a person has to say and not the person who says it sure. necessarily. Um, ideas should stand on their own and mm -hmm. you should not ad hom people when you're actually legitimately considering their ideas. And we've done that. Yeah. I know that we, the whole time this had kind of a light mood about it and the last bit here, we've really started ragging, but in all seriousness, if I were across the table from a boat captain or a sovereign citizen and they wanted to tell me why they believe what they believe, it would do me the world of good to actually just listen to what they sure, believe. Sure, I'd like to do street epistemology with a sovereign citizen. That would be interesting. Absolutely. Like, yeah. And not where just for how think, funny it would be. Where do you think the authority from your arguments comes from? Like, if you're if you're going to cite statutes from maritime law, why do you think that that is authoritative, but the actual written statutes are not? Right. And and it wouldn't be so that we can just get a good kick out of it mm -hmm. even though we might like legitimately just engaging the idea cuz as unlikely as i think it would be you never know like there might be some legitimate truth nuggets in there that are sure, worth maybe. preserving maybe you know you never you'd never want to throw the baby out with the bathwater but at the same time if it's some pretty dirty bathwater you know like it's hard to notice i mean <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, eh, I don't know. I'm trying to walk the line here by being mm -hmm. an honest, good person that wants to talk about you sure. know, the subject, but you can't really talk about sovereign citizens without talking about all the baggage that comes with it. And also by the fact that most people know about sovereign citizens because of YouTube, because of r slash am I being detained? Yeah. You know, and to be fair, people I support 
auditors are kind of the same way. We talked about them not too long ago. Um, it's different for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess one of the things that I don't appreciate that sovereign citizens have kind of created for the rest of us is that, is that, 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 mm, I don't know if I, it's not really like a train of logic, but like strategy, the strategy of when interacting with the police, asking if you're free to go, like, that kind of thing has been associated with sovereign citizens. And now you are seen as a lunatic if you ask these questions. And it's it, that is a perfectly reasonable thing to ask. Yeah. Because strategically speaking, go talk to an attorney and they'll tell you, you want to spend as little time talking to the police as you can. Yeah. Um, don't answer questions. All that kind of stuff. I'm not a lawyer, but you can go listen to lawyers talk about why this is a good idea. Um, why, why it's not a good idea to talk to the police. And why you need to constantly be asking if you if you are stuck in an interaction with a police officer, ask if you're free to go. Um, and so yeah, this the the whole like that there's the subreddit. Am I being detained? And that that's just all about sovereign citizens now. Yeah, I'm gonna point out a very specific video yes. uh, on YouTube. It's from the Regent University School of Law channel, and the video is titled "Don't Talk to the Police." It has 13 million views. I watched it. I think it's great. And it's where a lawyer and a former police officer talk about that interaction. Yeah, talk about how you will send yourself to jail by talking to the police about the most mundane things. Yes. it's Just keep your mouth shut. Seriously. But actually, yes, go watch that video. It's 46 minutes and 39 seconds. So strap in, grab your popcorn, but it's totally worth it. 100% worth it. Absolutely. Oh, Oh, we got through the boat captains this week. We did. I'm glad. Hopefully we'll never have to again. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Anyway. But anyway, yeah, that's all I have for the topic this mm-hmm. week. You? Mm-hmm. All right. Philosophers. Philosophers. If you like the music in this episode, please check out Jippy on Bandcamp at jippy.bandcamp.com. Philosophers is supported by viewers like you. If there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, or a topic you'd like to see revisited in the future, please let us know by contacting us using the methods in the description, or in the comments below. Thank you for listening.